Yes, it's that time of year again. Of course, we love WKRP all year long, but especially now as we get closer to Thanksgiving and recall that incredibly funny episode. Did you know we have five different WKRP designs, including three different Turkey Drop-inspired ones? Simply go to CincyShirts.com and type WKRP into the search bar and have a look. Use the promo code at the end of this episode to save 20% on your entire order online or in-store. Now, on with the show. WKRP in Cincinnati. This is WCPO FM 1051 on your FM dial, Cincinnati, Ohio. Hi again, everyone, and welcome to the Cincy Shirts Podcast. It's episode 141. Today on our show, T.T. Sternenzi. Here I am showing this movie to teens and literally had to have a teachable moment with the teens that I was showing it to because we literally had to stop the film. I was appalled, the women were appalled, and the dude in the class was just kind of like, well, sometimes that's just how you got to treat a woman. (laughs) All of the girls in the room were literally ready to kill him. T.T. Sternenzi is a film critic that you know from Cincinnati City Beat and Fox 19, among other places. The Asheville, North Carolina native tells us about how he ended up in the Queen City, how he developed his love for movies as a kid, the film that was most responsible for his job as a movie critic and film programmer, and a whole lot more. Now, if you've been liking the podcast, you can help support it via PayPal or Venmo. Simply use podcast at cincyshirts.com. Chip in whatever you feel is fair. Also, be sure to listen for the special promo code for 20% off at the end of the episode. Now, let's talk to T.T. Sternenzi. Cincinnati, Ohio. I come from C-I-N-C-I-N-N-A-T-I, Cincinnati. She came down from Cincinnati. Just maybe think of me once in a while. I'm at CincyShirts.com in Cincinnati. Well, uh, great. We appreciate you doing this. Um, I'm surprised we haven't gotten to you yet uh, on the podcast. Um being uh, a, a part of a Cincinnati that, that you are, people seeing, you know, on the Fox 19 and in City Beat. And uh, I guess we'll start from the top. Um, are you from here? I am not originally from here, no, no. Uh, where are you from? Uh, <clears throat> I kind of bounced around a little bit. I'm originally from Asheville, North Carolina. Oh, lovely city. Um, yeah, but I moved here from Philadelphia back in September of 2000. Okay. All right. Yeah. Philly's a nice town, too. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, how did uh, uh, how did you? Um, let me see. Like, would it be a good place to start here? I guess because usually we start with people's Cincinnati bona fides and uh, the the high school and all that. Um, did <laughs> right. you did you always want to be a journalist? Was uh, journalism the the path you were on? Were you always a, a movie buff or both? Or how did all that come together? Well, the the movie part is the easier part. I have always. Um, always been a fan of movies. Uh, that goes back to my childhood again in North Carolina. Um, I was that kid who, again, kind of a geeky kid growing, growing up in the, in the late seventies, early eighties, um, did pretty well in school, was raised by a single parent. And when my mom had the opportunity, if she would get off work early and I was doing well in school, she would pick me up and she'd say, like, what do you want to do? And, of course, I was just like, if it was going to be anything, I was like, yeah, let's go to the movies. So, uh, 
yeah, I spent my early days going to movies with my mom after school, eventually hooking up with, you know, some of my peers, some of my kind of geeky peers. We played Dungeons and Dragons. We'd read comic books uh-huh. and we went to the movies together. So the the movies have always been a part of my life. Uh, writing about them, though, was not so much. Um, I always tell people in terms of like my education and how all this came together, it's really kind of strange and funny because I I actually have a business degree from the Wharton School. Um, that's how I ended up in Philadelphia. I went to Penn um, in the mid to late 80s and I hated Actually, actually hated the business school and everything that I was studying. And interestingly enough, at the time that I was there, uh, celebrated alums at the time, I guess you will, were, you know, Michael Milliken and uh, our current president. Um, so and again, that attitude and kind of approach to life was kind of what was leading and guiding everyone through uh, their time at the business school. It was like, do whatever you can to get ahead Um, and I was just not that guy at all. I was not interested in that kind of philosophy on life or anything else. So I spent most of my time, yes, focusing on the courses that I need to get a management degree, but I ended up taking an awful lot of classes outside of that in, uh, the English department in the communications department where I got to study film as text. Uh, so that was, that gave me a chance to kind of marry, my love of film that I had from, you know, my early ages with the idea that, again, you could actually study, study movies and talk about them and break them down in different ways. Uh, that was really kind of exciting, but I didn't imagine that there was going to be any chance to do anything with that. It was just uh, an opportunity to take some classes to get me away from some of those, uh, those crazy people in the business school. So, um, I kind of followed that path as long as I could. I graduated, I started working in the nonprofit world, um, but I always still kept that interest in film. I was I was that guy in in Philly back through the '90s who was, um, you know, going to the Philadelphia Film Festival and you know buying a you know a pass for the entire festival, which was going to give me a chance to watch as many films as I could. Or I was also the guy who would sit at work and on a Friday. Uh, usually after lunch, I spent most of my time at work looking at, you know, the alt weeklies or the Philadelphia Inquirer to kind of figure out, well, what am I going to go to see at the movies this weekend? I was usually seeing two, three, maybe four movies a weekend, um, kind of living as, and having as much fun as I could with that world on the screen. And then when I got the chance to move here, um, I actually still maintain this this database in Excel, but I started a database in the in the '90s uh, that allowed me to track every film that I saw um, in theaters. And I would usually I have you know rows in, in there that are kind of helping me sort of figure out you know who who was the director of the film, when did I see it, what did I think about it. So I had all of this information kind of cataloged. Uh, that what I did is when I moved here, um, I sent that spreadsheet out to every outlet in the city, basically, and sort of said, well, hey, I've never written professionally before, but I've seen a lot of movies and I think I could do it. So, you know, take a look at this and see what you think. And um, 
the arts and entertainment editor at City Beat back in, you know, in 2000, took a look at that spreadsheet, reached out to me and said, hey, let's let's go grab coffee. And the rest is history. Well, that would be Rick Pender. Uh, at that point, it was actually Steve Ramos. Oh, it was Steve. OK. Yeah. yeah. I know, I know yeah. Steve to say hello to. Yeah, I've been writing for City Beat since 1995. So, okay. yeah, and um, I've probably been writing, the only person that's written for it longer would be Mike Breen. Right, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so um, well familiar with uh, the whole crew there. So what brought you to Cincinnati, though, but wasn't film writing? Was it just a, a, like a lateral move within the nonprofit world? or? Um, actually, no, it was not. What actually brought me here, I was, again, I mentioned that I was working in the nonprofit world, and I was. I was uh, supporting working for an agency that was supporting people with disabilities, uh, had moved up in that agency and again then transferred to another agency that was then training staff that were working in agencies all across Philadelphia, again, working with people with disabilities. So I had that background, uh, but I was uh, also working on a novel at the time and kind of thinking that I wanted to write in one way or another. So um, my mother, uh, was living here at the time. She remarried when I was in college and, and, and resettled here. Oh. And just in talking to her over, I guess, like maybe like a two year period in the late nineties, um, she was kind of hearing me, you know, kind of talk about how my work life and the writing life were not coming together in the ways that I kind of hoped that they would or wanted that I wanted them to. And she, she and my stepfather were kind of like, well, you know, why don't you, why don't you move to Cincinnati, come here and hang out for, for a little bit, just to take a break, maybe focus on the writing a little bit more if you want, uh, just to kind of recharge your battery maybe. Um, and I took him up on the offer. That was really it. I was just like, sure, why not? I'll see what it's like. I've never, outside of coming to visit them, you know, a couple times a year, I didn't know that much about Cincinnati, but I was kind of ready for a change. And, I got here, like I said, yeah, that, you know, I sent that spreadsheet out and that was pretty much it. It just uh, kind of snowballed from there. So what happened to Steve Ramos? I haven't heard from him in ages. <laughs> it has been a while. Um, you know, I've, it's interesting because I kind of feel like thanks to Steve, he was the, he was the person who kind of opened the door for me in, in so many ways to give me this, giving me this opportunity. And I got to learn a lot from him and again, kind of having that opportunity to work at the paper, especially by the time I got there, uh, this was all so new to me that, you know, it was great just kind of hanging out with him and going to coffee shops and talking about movies and going to the screenings and seeing things. And then he got involved in doing film programming and kind of bounced around and did a number of things. And I felt like at every opportunity that he was trying something different, um, I got the opportunity to kind of dip my toes into that too. So I got to learn a little bit about, you know, film programming and, and other institutions in the city and things like that. And then eventually, um, you know, he was, again, while he was writing for the paper, he was going to film festival all, all, all the time. He was going to, you know, Sundance and TIFF. And I started going to TIFF, as a matter of fact, kind of thanks to him once I got married. And TIFF would um, be Toronto National? Toronto, the, yeah. The oh, Toronto right. I got National it right. Film I just festival. guessed. Because <laughs> I don't yeah. get to go to that a lot. Okay. <laughs> Good for me. Good guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a great, and again, it's a great festival. I love Toronto. 
Um, and as a matter of fact, probably the last sustained bit of time I spent with him, he had already moved on from City Beat at that point, but he was still going uh, up for TIFF. And we used to uh, ride up together. And he would either Airbnb or get a place somewhere. And I had a, a kind of a normal, regular place of people that I was staying with. So we would drive up together, do the festival, and then hop back in, in, in the car and come back to you know Cincinnati after the festival. So um, like I said, yeah, in some ways he is as much a part of my my film experience and that that whole idea of uh as anyone else you know in terms of the, the people that have kind of influenced me along the way he's definitely pretty high on that list so uh, i haven't talked to him in a while it was interesting we we caught up with each other we saw each other right before quarantine started and you know it's just in cincinnati you cross each other on the street it's like hey we need to get together and we were both kind of like well yes we definitely need to do that and we, it was like we made a promise to each other and then COVID kind of stepped in and said, yeah, you're, we're not allowing you to, I'm not going to allow you guys to do that just yet. So I'm still holding out to the idea that once we get through quarantine, he's going to be one of the first few people that I'm going to reach out to to say, yeah, we need to, we need to reconnect and grab some coffee and kind of talk about movies and everything that's going on. So how has the pandemic kind of changed your involvement with the movie business? Because, of course, I know, um, I mean, I do trivia at one of the local theaters here in town, but they're just showing mostly, uh, you know, older movies. You, know, you can see Empire Strikes Back on the big screen now, if you have a notion. Uh, but, I mean, how has it kind of affected you? Or are you watching things that are going the streaming route, or what's what's it been like? Yeah, I was not sure what this was going to look like for me, to be quite honest. Um because, yeah, I mean, I was writing for City Beat and doing, the, you know, just one day a week. I was usually doing Fridays, kind of the opening day for, you know, new releases in theaters. I would do the Friday bits on Fox 19, talking about mainly multiplex, you know, the blockbuster kinds of films. Um, and I've been doing the Fox 19 uh, segments, I guess, for probably close to maybe six years just on those Friday mornings. Um, and about two weeks into quarantine, um, the producers that I was working with were kind of like, well, are you still seeing stuff? And I'm kind of like, yeah, you know, they're, you know, they're obviously streaming shows that are being released and, you know, films that are coming out this way. And again, there have been an, an, a, a surprising number of independent films that are still being released. Uh, they're going, you know, video on demand. Uh, Netflix and Amazon Prime and Hulu, they've all started picking up titles from festivals and doing that kind of stuff. So there hasn't seemed to have been any kind of end in sight to that for me. So I've been able to take those films that I've seen, you know, through streaming services and talk about them and what Fox 19 did. They sort of said, well, hey, instead of just doing it once a week, why don't you come, why, you know, why don't you do like a regular daily weekday segment for us? Whatever you're watching, you can talk about it. And it was really interesting because we spent so much time in my conversations with them. You know, it was always me kind of wishing I could talk about more independent films and different types of things that are out there. Whereas initially they were always just like, well, yeah, just do the stuff that's going to play in theaters because that's really all our audience is really going to focus on. But quarantine kind of changed all of that because for them they were just kind of like well yeah let's just talk about whatever you want to talk about you know if you want to talk about streaming shows you're watching uh films independent stuff just open it up let's go let's see what it's like 
And we've been doing this literally, like I said, since I guess the two weeks in the quarantine, it's been a, a daily segment and it's been really exciting that, uh, again, I get the opportunity to do that. Cause again, it forced me to actually spend a little more time watching stuff that I ordinarily either didn't have the time to, because if, you know, before all of this, I was spending all my time in movie theaters. Uh, now I haven't been in a movie theater since the beginning of March. Uh, and I don't necessarily feel like I'm going to go back into one anytime soon. Um, you know, just based on just our, our house and our family situation, my wife and I are, you know, uh, are, are pretty maintaining a pretty strict COVID kind of, you know, quarantine scenario. We will go out, we go out for walks and we'll go to bars and restaurants, but we only eat outside. We don't spend a lot of time indoors. Um, and I know that theaters in the city have opened back up and I'm glad they have. I want to do everything that I can to support that. So in some ways, that's what has been nice about being able to talk about films that are playing in theaters as long as I get the opportunity to see them, you know, through, you know, some sort of streaming platform or whatever. I can talk about those things and tell people, hey, if you're comfortable and you're, you're feeling ready to do this, here are the great titles that you can go see in theaters. But I'm, I personally am not quite ready uh, to make that switch yet. And again, it will probably be a while before I am, although um, I have been entertaining recently the idea of considering if there are going to be press screenings for new releases. Um, I'm thinking about the, the possibility of saying, well, hey, if I get the chance to go see it with just members of the press and we're all going to wear masks, um, yeah, I, I, I might consider that as an option because again there aren't that many members of the press here going to press screenings anymore i mean again the last one i went to like i said in march um there are probably no more than like five or six of us in cincinnati who attend press screenings that are that are set up so you know i can sit in a movie theater with five or six other people and and watch a film first thing in the morning and feel um probably as healthy and safe as I'm going to feel about doing anything indoors outside of my house. So, um, I'd be willing to, I'd be willing to consider that because there are a couple of films like tenant that has been in theaters and I haven't had the chance to see it all. Um, and you know, Warner brothers did not necessarily send out streaming links for that. And I'm to a certain extent, I'm kind of glad they did because I'm not sure that I'd want to see tenant on my computer screen. I was going to ask uh, if that if it does it change the experience, uh, uh, or does it depend on the film, or overall is it kind of, you know, does it does it change how you absorb the film? Because uh, I know a lot of purists yeah. probably think that it does, but oh yeah, it definitely does. Like again, like I said, at some point, you know, yes, we all will watch a Christopher Nolan film when it finally makes its way out of theaters and it's on, you know, streaming services or Blu-ray or DVD. Lots of people will see Inception that way. But again, you don't want your first time seeing Inception to be in that format. You want to see it on the big screen in the largest format possible. I mean, again, with Tenet, it's a film that he shot in, you know, IMAX. Uh, and that's that's the way, at least for me, that's the way I want to see it for the first time. So if that means that it's going to be a much longer time before I see that film, I'm going to be hugely disappointed about that situation and that possibility, but I'm going to, I'm going to 
bait and and hang with it and do what I do. Just like, you know, there are a number of films that have been, you know, pushed and dates have been changed to next year. I'm a huge fan of Frank Herbert and Dune is one of those films that when they first announced it and we're talking about when it was going to open, you know, in my head, I had already kind of mentally checked off the idea that, yeah, I'm seeing, I can't wait to see Dune in the theater. Um, but in the same way, it's been moved to next year and I will wait to see it next year when it comes out. I'm excited about it. And, you know, there's, like I said, there's a host of films that are like that, that I know that I need to see in that format, in that way, in the largest scale possible. Uh, and we just can't do that right now. And, you know, there are plenty of other films, though, that you can see, you know, lots of independent films that have come out and smaller character driven kinds of stories that are not as dependent upon, you know, the scale and scope um, for the, you know, for that experience. And I'm enjoying catching stuff in streaming formats in this way and talking about it on Friday, you know, not, not just Fridays, but every day during the week on Fox 19, because there is now an audience of people that I connect with in a much different way because of that, because I can, you know, as I'm walking around OTR where my wife and I live, people will, you know, call out my name and say, Hey, TT or Hey, movie guy, huh. I saw you talking about this film or that film this morning on TV, you know, and, and i I do the best I can to make sure now that I start, I, I, I kind of open that conversation up to people like, okay, well, Hey, what was I talking about this morning or whatever morning it was that you saw me, you know, what did you think about it? Have you seen it yet? Or what are you watching? Which then gives me the chance to kind of hear from other people and sort of say, well, if you're checking this out and I haven't seen that yet, maybe I need to see it and then talk about it on TV so that you can feel a little more connected to me. And then I can, in turn kind of feel more connected to, you know, the audiences out there. Cause there is this, it's been, that's been one of the exciting parts for me about this process and spending more time on TV is I have come to recognize that there is a much larger community of people uh, that are kind of, you know, tuning in in ways that I would not have expected and are excited when they see me to be able to say, Hey, I want to talk about this movie that I saw or this show that I saw that, you know, you recommended or, you know, I like this thing over here and I think you should check it out. I haven't heard you talk about it yet. Uh, which has made it much more of a collab, almost a collaborative kind of conversation and process. Um, which I hope to make sure that I continue this after we get through this period. Um, cause that is, that has become a very important thing for me right now. Do you think that this is going to change the film business overall, uh, both in terms of production and, you know, audience uh, reaction and participation? Or do you think, well, eventually things will get back around? Because people like going to the movies. They said cable was going to kill movies back in the 70s. When we were kids, remember? You know, they're going to, mm -hmm. movie theaters going to get wiped out. And that hasn't been the case at all. Yeah, I don't, I don't feel that film is ever going to completely go away. And maybe that's just me being, you know, sort of a diehard movie guy. But I mean, it part partially for me, you know, and again, I've already kind of talked about this early on. Again, I spent so much time, whether again, it was with my mother or my friends, or eventually even when I started going to see films by myself, um, I was always very 
aware of the fact that even though I might, even in those cases may have been in a movie theater by myself, I was aware that I was sharing an experience with other people. And, you know, for me, one of the first, actually the very first film that I saw by myself was the last temptation of Christ. Oh, and I was in Philly. I had waited all summer to get back to be able to have the chance to see that film. And I saw it on a weekend at, you know, the, the art house theater chain in Philadelphia and there were maybe six or seven people in the theater. I was easily the youngest person in there probably by decades. Um, but as soon as the lights went down and, you know, that film started to unspool before us, you know, it was it, it I, I felt like I was part of a community. It was this, it, one of the smallest communities that I probably have, had, had ever seen at that point, just like I said, with like six, six or seven people in a theater. But we were all in there together. We were all feeling it and being moved by it at the same time. And film will always have the ability to do that, whether it's, again, six people or if you're at a film festival with hundreds of people all at once watching the same thing. Yeah, you're never going to escape the power of that. You know, so I think that we will we will get back to that and as as best as we can and hopefully as quickly as we can. But I'm not, you know, I, I'm not going to knock the experience that we have now where people are, you know, like I just talked about Lovecraft Country this morning on Fox 19. And then I know that obviously everybody watched that on HBO last night and had a huge audience. It's a series that has done really well. And, you know, yes, we all had the experience of watching that together and then getting and people got on social media and talked about it. And that's a, it creates another kind of a community and another way of experiencing a narrative like that. And it's powerful in its own way. But, you know, I'm I, I think there is definitely going to still be room for both of those scenarios to take place. You can have the, the bigger singular experience of seeing a film in a theater and still have these really great communal experiences of watching shows or even smaller films on screens in your home and being able to talk and experience and share those experiences on social media that again both of those are viable and vital and very necessary uh, in terms of again us, us all kind of reacting to you know, the, the differences in this particular art form as it's changing and evolving and as we're changing and evolving. I know whenever I hear uh, movie critics interviewed, a, a common question people ask of them, and I think it's a, kind of a good one, is, is there a film that you maybe weren't too kind to uh, that you've gone back now and been like, you know, actually, that's better than I thought? And conversely, are there some films that you're like, wow, this didn't age very well? <laughs> um. You know, it's funny you should mention that. I, I feel like that's the question I should have been a little more prepared for, and I'm not. Um, I, I, I can address the tail end of that in some ways, and it's funny because it's a film that I really loved when I was a kid growing up because uh, I'm a huge Prince fan. And oh. obviously in the 80s, seeing Purple Rain when it came out was 
sort of a seismic kind of experience for me at that stage as a teenager who had grown up listening to Prince and being such a huge fan, really excited about the film. And I guarantee you back in the eighties, I saw that film multiple times, whether it was with my friends or alone or whatever else. Um, and I loved it because like I said, I'm a Prince fan and it was huge. Um, but I had the opportunity to see purple rain again uh, probably about 10 years ago, let's say, um, I was teaching uh, a class at Lighthouse Youth Crisis Center, working with teens, and it was during the summer, and instead of us kind of doing a really formal class or whatever, it was just kind of like, well, it's during the summer, so let's just watch some stuff that we like and kind of hang out with it and have fun. And most of the kids had no idea who Prince was. They didn't know his music in, the, in that way. And it was, I, I was, of course, personally offended by that. <laughs> so I, I dug into my DVDs and I pulled it out and I brought it in and popped it in for them. And I was like, okay, I grew up loving this. You guys are going to love it too. And as we were watching it, we get about 10 minutes into it and there's a scene where, you know, it's like a morning after kind of scene and Morris Day and the time are getting ready to hit the streets. And as he and Jerome are walking around, they run into this woman that they met at the club or whatever else and start talking trash with her and smack or whatever else. And she starts saying, you know, like giving it right back to them. And eventually they throw her in a trash can and kind of walk away from her. And I sat there horrified by that <laughs> moment. And I was just like, oh, my God, I didn't even remember that happening. And again, I probably like I said I've probably seen that film 10, 20 times. Had, and it just it it frightened me that I didn't remember it. And then more importantly, I was appalled by the idea that here I am showing this movie to teens and literally had to have a teachable moment with the teens that I was showing it to because we literally had to stop the film because at one point you know i was doing this with a small group of uh, group of teens there was one guy and maybe three or four young women in the class and you know i was appalled the women were appalled and the dude in the class was just kind of like well sometimes that's just how you got to treat a woman <laughs> and all of the girls in the room were literally ready to kill him and i literally was looking at him like dude like i shouldn't let them kill you right now you cannot say that <laughs> so we did. We had this whole moment. I explained, you know, explained it to him, and I was like, "Dude, yeah, no, that's not how you treat anybody. Let's not ever do that again. Let's not think about that." But that was again for me. That was one of those moments where it was just like, "Wow!" Like we have moved into a very different phase. Like I probably could have seen Purple Rain in the '90s, even, and not maybe not have been as offended by that scene you know, as I was 20 years later. It's funny. And it was just interesting to me because, yeah, that's that I, I feel that there are lots of opportunities like that. And we are kind of having a cultural moment with those kinds of things in terms of kind of reckoning with, OK, what was acceptable at one point or maybe not even acceptable, but what we didn't pay attention to at one point versus what we may be paying attention to now and how that plays out. Um, I think that for me is kind of a fascinating place in terms of where we are and how conversations are evolving about culture and difference, which is, yeah, again, it's, that's, 
that's again for me that's probably more important those are those are more important discussions than sort of the idea of again a a, a critical take on a film or a narrative or something like that it's about yeah where how we're looking at you know these cultural artifacts uh throughout the years and and how how we change and evolve and and obviously those things don't change and evolve they stay the same it's you know, purple rain is still purple rain yeah it's just how we look at it is different now the thing with the the John Hughes catalog, it's uh, you know it's as brilliant as you know most of it is. There's still a lot of parts that Sixteen Candles are are horrible, right. <laughs> they're horrifying in retrospect. <laughs> and I don't, I forget who pointed it out to me. Even it, I don't think it was one of my daughters because they haven't seen the movie. But someone pointed it out to me a long time ago. Even they're like you know Anthony Michael Hall gets this girl. You know she gets she's out of it, and so is he. You know, and they wind up together, and maybe that's not great. Of course, there's the whole Gadea Watanabe thing, mm-hmm. you know, the the Asian exchange student, which is just mortifying. And but like you're saying, yeah, it's just like you know, it, it's like this thing, I guess, where they're showing they showed Gone with the Wind on HBO, but they had Whoopi Goldberg up front say, hey, you know, we should still see this, but just to put this in context, there's the I think they really should do that with the John Hughes films. They're still brilliant, but it's like we were dicks. And we right. didn't really know it then. And maybe we'd be better people if we had realized back then how terrible we were. And yeah, we had fun and there was great music, but you know, it's mm-hmm. just, yeah, it's just, are you, yeah. are you a fan of that kind of thing of kind of contextualizing things like Gone with the Wind and, and the kind of the efforts that are being made to kind of to show those films, but still kind of put a, you know, a different spin on them? I am. Uh, and again, I think part of that for me, you know, being a black critic and kind of looking at the world in, in these different ways is this this idea that, you know, I, I feel like to a certain extent as someone who lived through, again, you know, this period that we're talking about in the 80s or late 70s, early 80s and, and into the 90s, say, for instance, at the beginning of, you know, political correctness. And thinking back to how we were as we talked about language and what was appropriate to, you know, how to talk about way things and and people and groups and things like that. I think the thing that stands out for me the most is being in college during that phase. It was never necessarily about the idea that you were going to try to stop or prohibit language or dialogue or debate. It was about more about the idea that you were going to say, okay, this is something that we need to talk about. We need to see it. We need to talk about it. And we need to talk about it as honestly as possible. And yeah, the only way you can do that is just by saying, okay, well, here it is. Here's the issue. Here's the, the artwork. Here's the film, whatever it is. Let's not be afraid to talk about it. And let's not be afraid to engage with it. Because at some point I feel like we are unfortunately getting to the stage where people are far more comfortable saying, well, yeah, you know, if they are racist or homophobic or transgender kinds of things in here, or again, there are elements that are, you know, anti-various religions or whatever else, it's easier just to say, well, then let's just not, let's not even have it out there in the, in the cultural sphere at all. And I'm not sure that that does us any good. I really, I really don't think that that's necessarily a helpful notion because, again, we have to be able to look at it and understand that it's a part of our past. It doesn't mean that we have to celebrate it in the same way or hold it in the same regard, which, again, gets into some of the questions that we have today in terms of, 
you know, the whole idea of, you know, monuments to Civil War heroes or, you know, generals and things like that. You know, I think there's a different level of these kinds of conversations. We can take those those monuments down. It doesn't mean that we are trying to hide that part of our history. But again, it just means that we are not saying that we need to celebrate yeah. those parts of our history in that way. But we still need to talk about it. Well, there are these things you know, called books in the Internet where you can also find that stuff out. I think you need a statue out there. To, to right. tell you, you and again, a lot of this about, yeah, it just leads to this whole notion that we aren't, it feels like we're, we assume that people are not going to be able to handle this information on their own. And I'm against the idea that, you know, we should be treating each other with such kid gloves. Uh, when you um, review a movie and it's, and it's terrible. Uh, in fact, we saw a terrible movie last night, by the way, on, on uh, Netflix, Hubie Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> We had, to, okay. we, had to, we had to turn it off. It was, it was terrible. And speaking of things, right. by the way, speaking of being woke and how things are terrible, we're like, and people are probably familiar, it's the Adam Sandler Halloween pick. He, pl- he mm-hmm. plays kind of a slow fella in the town of Salem, Massachusetts. And we're, and the three of us were looking at each other, my daughter and wife, are like, wait, is he, is this kid have like some, some troubles? Does he have uh, uh, issues, autism maybe, and Asperger's and things like And my daughter looks up, she goes, yeah, kind of he does. The character kind of does. And we're like, oh my God, this is, is this still, still 2020? <laughs> anyway, um, but the th- we were, uh, one of the kids from uh, Stranger Things was in it, and my daughter wanted to see his scene, so we skipped through them because we couldn't take mm-hmm. it anymore. And then that was it. So, but do we, uh, when you're watching a movie that you know is, is starting to turn out to be terrible and you're, you know, you're still sitting there through it, do you try to find anything good about it? Because my buddy always says, you know, it takes just as much effort to make a bad movie as it does to make a good movie. Somebody still poured their heart into it and whether the, you know, right. rightly, they made some mistakes, you know, it's, but do you ever try to find the, the good in things or is it just, you know, sometimes it just can't be helped? Well, I don't know that it's always such a conscious idea of saying, oh yeah, I'm going to try to find the good in this. Sometimes it's just more the, I mean, I, I totally subscribe to that belief that your friend mentioned that, yes, you know, let's just say, and again, I haven't seen it. So you're actually ahead of me here with this Adam Sandler Halloween film, the new Netflix thing. Um, I haven't seen that, but my point would be someone invested time and money not just someone, lots of people lots. invested their time and, lots and of money and effort to create that film. So at the very least, it deserves my time and intention as a critic to sit there and say, okay, well, what's what in there was worth all of that in the first place? And again, you know, I may not figure that out, to be quite honest. And in most cases, when I walk away from a film that I don't like, I do kind of think, oh, gosh, I completely missed why someone wanted to spend money on this. You know, or I may say, wow, this wasn't good because of poor execution, but there may have been an interesting idea in there or they didn't handle the characters well, but there was something, you know, there's there was at least good music in it. I don't know, yeah, yeah. whatever it is. So, yeah, you can kind of. But it does. It feels like that's almost too simplistic to say I'm looking for the good. I think there's there could potentially be something in there no matter what. But it's just more the idea of okay, this was an endeavor that a whole bunch of a journey that a whole bunch of people went on. Why did they go on a journey together? I mean, I could say so, the one good thing is there were a lot of got a lot of good guest stars. You pulled a lot of strings, 
and everybody in it is it is or people everybody loves. It's just that wow. <laughs> Did anybody yeah. read anybody read the script before this thing started filming? Oh yeah, yeah, and that again, that like I said, that happens a lot, and you do kind of it leaves you kind of scrap scratching your head, like okay, yeah. well, what the what happened here? Like this, you know, again, yeah, either you have a bunch of really interesting and talented people who. Or is it a paycheck gig for them or yeah. did they just all want to hang out together or what was it that was, you know, that led people down this, like I said, down this path and on this journey together that, yeah, it's, it, it is, all it is kind of fascinating to me. And it's sometimes it's, it's far more interesting and it's taken me a while as a critic to really appreciate this, but I think there are definitely times where you, actually enjoy the process more of talking about a bad film than you actually talk, enjoy talking about a film that you might actually really like because it, it opens the conversation up in very different ways that are, can, they can sometimes be exciting in terms of saying, well, wow, this didn't work, but like, let's look at why this didn't work. And you, you learn something from that, process of kind of understanding well wow this here's why i think this element over here didn't work and this piece didn't come together and you know the more you look and you think and you break it down the more you recognize that wow i spent a lot more time on this than i probably ever would have assumed that i would have in the first place and uh, just a quick reminder folks that the views on films are my own don't bother josh and darren don't tweet at them or anything like that <laughs> like the adam sandler movie um so uh you mentioned, of course, you were talking about TV shows, and we're talking about about next Netflix. Was that always an interest growing up as well, or were you more of a kind of a, I guess we would say it was a movie snob that you know uh, TV just didn't quite do it for you? Um, no, I have my own kind of pet, you know, projects that again that are you know interesting and kind of titillating me in that along those lines in terms of TV. I. Again, I was a kid who grew up, you know, I, I was actually, you know, I was born in 69. So, I mean, I've got that whole host of TV shows from the 70s, from, you know, MASH and Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley and, you know, the Jeffersons and all of that stuff that I kind of loved as a kid. And, you know, I was a big fan of Cheers and, you know, Taxi. So, oh, were, you know, T- TV was definitely Barney Miller. Those there were there was all of this really great, interesting stuff that was going on on television that was kind of interesting at the time. Um, and then I would say I got to the 90s when I was living living on my own in Philly and didn't actually didn't even have a TV. So I I, I read a lot about TV, but I didn't watch as much. So, yes, I moved and focused far more on film in the 90s, through the 90s and the early 2000s. But um, but then I had the opportunity to kind of come back and I got into a lot of the HBO stuff, obviously The Sopranos and The Wire. Uh, and I still, to my mind, I feel like The Wire is probably the greatest show I have ever seen on television. Hmm. Um, so, you know, television as, an, as, a, as a narrative form has the ability to do amazing things in its own right. So I'm, I would never act like the kind of snob who would be like, yeah, you know, I only care about film. I think that, you know, you're going to be able to find great stuff on 
you know, either of those formats. And of course, now the streaming world has opened things up even more, which in some ways has been at least created the opportunity of almost blending what we kind of know to be the best of television and the best of film to a certain extent. Um, which again, is also exciting. So I, I would never, you know, again, it's, it's kind of like, why would you, why would you limit yourself if there are so many really great and interesting things to take advantage of? Why would you say, well, yeah, I'm only going to look at this, this one area here. I'm not going to look at the rest of the stuff. I'm going to, I'm going to do the best I can to take in as much as I can. It just means that I, I, immediately have to recognize the fact that yes i'm i'm only a human person with two eyes and you know only so much time so i'm going to end up missing out on some things but that's one that's been one of the the benefits of quarantine too because again it gave me the opportunity to be able to sit at home and not have to go out into the world as much as i ordinarily would have which meant that i could sit back and watch more stuff which has given me the chance to watch more streaming shows than I ordinarily would and again be able to talk about them and to appreciate them in that way and it's you know it's it's given me the illusion of having more time and access and ability to take things in but there's still even more that I know that I'm never going to get around to and it's just kind of like well you know there's a there's an embarrassment of riches. Yeah. It's like uh, a yeah. comedian Gary Goleman has that joke. He's like, uh, I lie in bed and I'm thinking, I should be up watching movies because uh, they're <laughs> all on my queue. <laughs> so uh, what I guess um, we've arrived at this obvious question, but nonetheless, here it is. What your favorite movie or movies, you can you know pick two or three uh, of all time. What's a movie you can just go back oh, yeah. to again and again? Oh yeah, that's that's the see that's the question I was waiting for. Oh, there you go. Okay, you, you threw me a curveball with the other question <laughs> a, a while back about you know critical choices and things yeah. that I would look back on. I w- wasn't ready for that. Totally ready for this one. Um, my favorite film of all time has been my favorite film of all time since 1986. Hmm. Uh, I'm a huge fan of David Lynch's Blue Velvet. Ah, okay. God, I haven't seen that in ages. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and it's it's a film that has a, a story for me. And here's the, I don't know if this is going to be the the fifty cent version of this story, or the nickel version, or the five dollar version. But either way, here it is. I I saw that film when it first opened in '86. Uh, I was at prep school in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I went opening weekend with a bunch of friends. I had already seen a few other Lynch films and and knew that this was something that I wanted to check out. So I saw it Friday night, the day that it opened, and was mesmerized from the very beginning with the film. Uh, I saw it. I ended up going back Saturday afternoon. I saw it again, went back to the mall Saturday night, saw it again for a third time, and I believe I even went back Sunday afternoon. So I saw it four times during its opening weekend, was captivated and confused at times by it and felt like I needed to talk about it with someone. So I got to my AP English class that Monday morning and I wasn't necessarily the most talkative guy uh, at that stage. I was pretty shy, pretty quiet guy. But I remember raising my hand at the beginning of that, that AP English class and sort of saying, well, hey, I just saw this film over the weekend a few times and I feel like I, I still don't quite understand it and I need to talk about it. And this feels like the, the perfect place to talk about it. Can, can you, 
can you let me talk about it? And my English teacher, fortunately, kind of looked at me and said, well, hey, you're, you obviously seem pretty passionate about this. So yeah, what's the film? We'll, let's, let's, we'll talk about it for 15 minutes. And a couple of my buddies who had been with me and had seen it over that weekend, um, he let us kind of riff on it for about 15 or 20 minutes. And that opened the door to me to being the person that I am right now and doing what I do for a living. Um, because that, that opportunity to talk about a film <clears throat> that was so interesting and bizarre in its own way, um, you know, just to be able to have that chance to talk about it. It's like, okay, well, yeah, film can be more than just, you know, escapism and mindless entertainment. There's something more to it. And it's exciting to have the opportunity to break it down. And I went, back over the course of the next couple of weekends. And I, I repeated that opening weekend screening schedule. I saw that film four more times each of the next two weekends. And since it has been out, I have seen it over 30 times on the big screen. Um, and I'm one of those really weird anal guys who not only keeps a spreadsheet of the films that he's seen, but I actually still have movie tickets from when I saw it in 86 and 87 and even through the 90s because I have seen it whenever it has played whether it is it's at a college campus or you know a repertory theater rescreening of the film whatever it is I've seen it as many times as I possibly could and I was lucky enough uh when they released the 30th anniversary print of it to be in New York City during spring break with my wife and my kids and my oldest at the time was the exact same age that I was when I saw it back in 86 and knew about the film and how, I, how much I cared about it. And I got tickets and we went to see it together in New York. That, you know, it's a brand new print of it. It was an amazing experience. And we walked out of there and then walked through new, the streets of New York talking about that film. And it it hit me in such a way that, wow, like, you know, not only was this meaningful for me, but my, my kid knew it was a meaningful thing and wanted to share in that too. So um, it is not the best film that I've ever seen, uh, but it is my favorite and will always be my favorite film because again, it has, like I said, it really has gotten me to the stage where I am right now as a critic and a film programmer and everything else. It's like that, that seeing that film is, is probably what um, gave me the sense that there could be a chance to have a life in film in this way outside of far outside of making films. So what's the best film you've ever seen then? What's your, your, your just, just your critics hat alone. Uh, just my critics hat alone. My, my, Next favorite films are the Godfather films. So I would honestly say that I think my that the best film that I've seen might be the Godfather part two. Uh, I love what they do uh, that the idea of, you know, the kind of dual timelines and the movements of, through the the, car, uh, the family and having, you know, Michael and, and Vito's story being told, you know, in that way. Um yeah, there's 
there's not much in my mind that gets better than the construction and the execution of that film. Cool. And uh, just before we go, I want to touch on uh, one other aspect of your career. You, I, when I was looking for your contact info, I noticed you do other writing apart from uh, film and entertainment writing. I do occasionally, yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's, it's just part of being a you know a freelance writer in the world. You, you kind of take gigs to you know support yourself and oh, I know that you know kind of figure some things out. So, but yeah, I've one of the nice things about the way that I've been able to approach it, and and I, again, I kind of almost take it back to Steve Ramos and City Beat in that way that. You know, it felt like if I was going to write about something, I, I had to care about it or I had to have some deeper interest in it. I, I knew I wasn't necessarily going to be one of those writers who could just take any random assignment and research it and write about it because it wasn't going to that, you know, it wasn't going to feel the same. I needed to I needed to be invested in it in some way. So I have written about other things. I, you know, I, I wrote for um, Match.com used to have a an online site where they would you know take story pitches and things like that so i wrote for them for a while kind of talking about online dating because that's how i met my wife um so yeah i wrote some stories you know not necessarily as like a cheerleader or a marketer for online dating but just more about the idea of this whole process of how people were meeting online and what that meant and how it changed the experience for them, or at least in terms of how it changed the experience for me. Um, more recently, and again, I've only only done this once. Um, I, you know, I had the opportunity to write for Cincinnati Magazine uh, a few months ago and do an interview with uh, Chief Isaac of the wow. Cincinnati Police Department. And in the, much the same way, it was kind of like, well, I I had to figure out a way to look at how I would have a conversation uh, as, as a black man in Cincinnati or just a black man in the United States, how I was going to talk about, you know, police and community relations and kind of think through this process and have that dialogue with, you know, a police chief who also happens to be a black man and who's from here. And so in my mind, it was easier to sort of say, well, okay, because we're two black men, and I'm a film critic. I'm going to look at that through the lens of how we see police on screen and how does that change how I look at him or how maybe the, the rest of the world may look at him. So, yeah, that was that was my avenue into that story. But again, like I said, if I'm going to do it, there's got to be an angle that I'm going to be really inspired by or at least intrigued enough by to make it worth my while. Cause otherwise I'm not going to, if I'm not going to do a good story, not going to do a good job, I don't want to waste anybody's time and I definitely don't want to waste my time. So yeah, it has to be something pretty special. Makes sense. So the best place to find all your stuff, uh, your website, is that directed like to all the city beat stuff and the Fox 19 stuff? And is that, yeah, it's, uh, Terrence Todd.com, which, um, yeah, for most people who don't know now, <laughs> uh, that, that blog has actually been my way of kind of reclaiming my name because I've gone for gone by TT the entire time that I've been here in Cincinnati, and most people didn't know what the TT stood for, and I never told anyone. Um, but yeah, when I started the blog, I guess about six years ago, I was kind of like, well, yeah, let's just go back to you know my first and my middle name, and there you go. Um, that's it. So TerrenceTodd.com. All right, um, you know, 
come check it all out. All of the, the Fox 19 archives are there. The City Beat stuff. I used to write for Dayton City Paper. All of those pieces are there as well. And somewhere down the line, there may be new pieces that will end up on there as well. Cool. And uh, our final uh, order of business, I don't know if you've heard the podcast before, but as the guest, you get to choose the coupon code for the next week. And the coupon code will be good until the next episode drops, and people will use this coupon code to take 20% off uh, their next order from Cincy Shirts, uh, either the stores or CincyShirts.com or our sibling site, OldSchoolShirts.com. So what would you like uh, that uh, word to be for the coupon code? Word or phrase? Uh, <clears throat> word or phrase? I'm going to – well – this is gonna. This will be an easy one. I'm gonna go with blue velvet. That's what I thought. There you go. Super. Yeah. All right. Easy to remember, kids. All right. Well, uh, thanks for doing this, uh, TT. And hopefully, we'll you'll get back in the theater soon, and uh, and see movies properly, and uh, and continued success to you uh, the rest of the way as well. Well, thank you for this opportunity. This has been a lot of fun. I'm I'm sorry it took so long, but I'm glad we had the opportunity to do it. Oh, no problem at all. Uh, gr- glad glad we finally got it knocked out. All right. Take care. Thanks, TT. She wore blue velvet. T.T. Sternenzi. Find all things T.T. at TerrenceTodd.com. That's Terrence with three E's in it. There's no A or anything like that to trip you up. And that'll lead, of course, like he said, to his City Beat stuff, his Cincinnati Magazine stuff, Fox 19 clips, and all that good stuff. Now, if there's someone you'd like to hear on the podcast or someone you'd like to hear again, just drop us an email, podcast at CincyShirts.com. You know, you can also Facebook message us on the Cincy Shirts uh, Facebook page. Someone just did that this morning, as a matter of fact. So uh, be sure to tell us um, who you'd like to have on the show and why you'd like to have us have them on the show or have them again on the show, as the case may be. Be sure to tell friends and loved ones about the show, including folks who may no longer live in the area, but still feel connected to the tri-state. And if you haven't already, check out the Cincy Shirt podcast, archives from baseball great Johnny Bench to actress Amy Asbeck, tons of great episodes back there, 141 of them back there now, excluding today's show. Uh, speaking of today's show, it was produced by me, with help from Josh and Darren. Our theme music is Cincinnati by Big Nothing. They are from Philadelphia. Find all of their music in iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you get your music. Find vintage t from great places like Boston, Phoenix, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Louisville, Seattle, Philadelphia, and more at OldSchoolShirts.com. We've up to like 36, 37 cities, something like that. Defunct sports teams, old malls, old restaurants, things like that, uh, like Cincy Shirts, but for those towns. And again, the promo code for this episode is Blue Velvet, all one word, all lowercase, all uppercase, that part doesn't matter. Use that to take 20% off your entire CincyShirts.com or OldSchoolShirts.com order, or you can come into the Cincy Shirts stores and over the Rhine and Hyde Park. Tell your nearest sales associate you'd like to use the podcast code from the past week blue velvet and they'll give you 20 percent off your entire order follow our social channels facebook instagram twitter and snapchat for the latest in t-shirts news tell your friends about the show give us a good review wherever you get the podcast from and as always download or stream us next time bye hey!